Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Well, here's a question for you this morning. What do you know about boats? What do you know about boats? For some of you, you might say, well, um, I know a lot about boats. And for others, uh, you may say, well, I know I can't even say toy boat five times really fast and keep from messing that up. All right? How many of you are trying that? I'll give you a minute. And that, you can get that out of your head. Maybe, maybe you're familiar with a kayak. Small little personal boat kind of vehicle or a canoe. If you haven't fished for catfish in Kentucky out of a canoe, you haven't lived yet. I mean, it gets exciting. Uh, for others, um, you may say, well, um, you know, I have, a, I have a sport boat. I have a ski boat or a, a wake a wake boat, or maybe you have a, a small fishing boat or a large fishing boat. Um, I loved fishing Lake Malax, fish, fishing for walleye in Lake Malax up in um, Minnesota with my brother-in-law. He had a large Skeeter um, Deep V boat with a kicker, and uh, we trolled, and um, that was great fun. We fished um, July, 1st of July, we fished um, um, Lake Erie, um, just outside of, launched out of Cleveland, and, and we fished for some, some walleye. Maybe some of you this morning said, well, I know about boats, but it's uh, uh, a pontoon boat or uh, a deck boat, party barge of some, some sort, or a sailboat. Somebody said, well, I, I don't have a sailboat, but I have a, a speedboat. Um, I, I may... I may know of somebody who got towed, who had a speedboat and got towed back to shore with a sailboat this last week. Um, may have heard about that. Maybe you've been a part of the Coast Guard or the Navy. I know some of you have been on aircraft carriers. Some of you have spent um, months at a time on submarines. Others may say, well, when it comes to boats, what I know about boats is um, I'm a cruiser. And if you know what it is to be a cruiser, you're saying, I, I, I'm on, you know, I've been on cruise ships before. Uh, so here, by the way, is a picture of the last cruise ship I was on, nearly 5,000 passengers. Rhonda took me to Alaska earlier this year, um, now visited all 50 states, and um, that was, uh, that was the boat we were on. When I think about boats, what kind of boat best describes the church? And there are a lot of people who, who, who would say, well, when I think of the church, I think of a, of a cruise ship. You know, you're welcomed on board, and, and, and you get a cozy cabin, and food and drinks, and there's nonstop entertainment. When I think of a church, I think of a cruise ship. The, you know, see, the goal of a cruise ship is focusing on the needs of the cruiser crowd. 
A cruise ship goes to great lengths to make sure that you feel good about your experience on the ship. Customer service is the name of the game on a cruise ship. There's dance halls and music halls, casinos, bars, theaters. If you're into sports, you can play pickleball or basketball. You know, in, in the C-plex, you can run on an outside deck on a running track, exercise facilities. You can go surfing on the, the flow rider, um, right all on, on the boat. You, you can get lifted high above the ship on the North Star. It's a 360, 360 degree view, um, several hundred feet above the boat. You can, you can experience weightlessness in the iFly. It's a wind tunnel and um, you, can, you can fly on the boat, you know, experience um, weightlessness. You can do bumper cars, that bumper cars on this boat. You can do rock climbing. Pools and hot tubs and spas are everywhere. The offshore excursions are, you know, well advertised. Quite literally, the crew is at your beck and call. <laughs> and food anytime, day or night. Ice cream on demand. <laughs> food, food's everywhere. Shopping. You can go shopping, uh, observation decks, lounge chairs, um, vistas from all around the world. The, the, the Vistarama, the robo screens in the aft of the ship, um, it was um, more than $30, $30 million they spent just on the tech in the back, in the aft of the boat, in, the, in, the, in a room. Um, wow. Now, you can get all of that on a cruise ship. If you know anything about cruise ships, you don't even get all of that. But here's where the problem comes in. When you think that, when you think about the church and you equate that to a cruise ship, um, that's where a problem comes in. The truth in advertising is the church is not a cruise ship. Church is not a cruise ship. There are a lot of people who get on board and claim a seat and expect to be served like they're on a cruise ship, but if that's your idea of what the church is, you're going to be disappointed. And we all know that unmet expectations always lead to disappointments. Unmet expectations, I don't care what it is, an unmet expectation leads to disappointment. Look, if you view the church as a cruise ship, it will feel like you're It'll feel like giving your cat a bath. (laughs) Your cat's not going to like it, and before it's over, you're not going to like it either. Right? Now, I would never think about preaching a message like this in my home church. So I am pretending that this is a message to a church that I'm a guest speaker in. All right? But here goes. I cannot get over the fact that some people who call themselves Christian still believe that the church is designed for the sole purpose to make them happy. They think it's all about them, they think that they're on a cruise ship. And that everything that the church should do would be to cater 
to their comfort, to their well-being of, of, of ease. They think they can jump on board and get served and never lift a finger. In fact, there are some who want a free ride and they expect everyone else to pay for their good experience. They're consumers. And it never crosses their mind that someone else is serving as they suck the benefit of having all that they want at their disposal. They want the church to do weddings, be able to host receptions for them and their family. They expect the church to do funerals and dinners for them and their family. They want the church to have good nurseries. They, they want the church to have good ministry to kids. They want the church to have good ministry to students and teenagers, and they want the church to have good ministry to college age and singles and to young married. And they want the church to have good ministries to, to, to adults and to seniors, and, and you have to have good ministries to the men, and then you have to have good ministries to the women, and then you have to have good music. Mm. And then sometimes there's wars about that. And then they want the church to have good counseling. And they want the church to have good preaching. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> they want the church to have good landscaping. It's got to look good outside. It's got to look really good outside. Because you want paved parking lots. And they want good sound and lights. And they want the church to be debt-free. But they don't like to tithe. They want to, you see, you want caviar on a, hot dog budget. They want the church so big that they can do more things, but they want it so small that they can know everybody and have a say-so in everything because they want to call the shots. The people that want all that and they want more and everything needs to be done with excellence and why not have it all? After all, the church is a cruise ship, right? Wrong. The church is not a cruise ship. The church's sole purpose is not designed to make you happy. Now, we serve people. Now, I, I think the church can excel in many, if not all, of those ways, but not if 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. A church can be all that and more if everyone plays a part, but the mentality is oftentimes in churches like it is in much of America today, that somebody else should pay for or work for what I want. And if that attitude prevails in the church, we will fail. What is astounding to me is that there are people, good Christian people, who would look at our nation, our country, and they would say, we have a serious problem. We have too many people that are freeloading. We have too many people who are not willing to work for everything that they want, and they expect everyone else to help cover that. And they... They would, they would identify that as a, as a problem in the nation. But when it comes to their own church, they're blind to it. And they would expect that everyone else, they want, oh, I'm expecting all of the ministries of this church to come together and serve me and, and make me happy. Meanwhile, they're not willing to do their part in making it possible. And if that attitude prevails in the church, we will fail.
You know who gets, by the way, you know who gets honked off when a pastor dares to say things like this in a church? I mean, I'm glad I'm not saying this in my home church because you know, I can, it's, 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 called, it's called, you know, bomb theology. You, can, you, you go someplace, you drop a bomb, and you hightail it out of there, and you let the, let the local pastor deal with all the, the carnage, right? But you know who gets honked off when a pastor dares to say things like this in a church? I can tell you, it's not the people who are already serving. And I'll remind you that some people are doing some heavy lifting, and it may not be readily seen by you or by me because they're doing it behind the scenes, but they're using the gift that God has given them, and, they, and it may not be the gift that everyone sees, but without it, we can't function. So you have to be careful in this whole assessment. But those aren't the people who get honked off when a pastor says things like this. They're the ones who are saying amen. The people who get honked off are the people who are doing nothing. Well, very seldom do I ever find people doing nothing. If they're not serving and helping the cause, they're doing something, but usually it's consuming and complaining. Do you know that complaining is not a spiritual gift? There are only two kind of people on earth I mean, those who lift and those who lean. And the people who are busy rowing don't have time to rock the boat. You've all heard the little red hen story, right? I think it may be true. Everything I need to know in life I learned, you know, in kindergarten. <clears throat> you remember this story, the little red hen? Once upon a time, the little red hen lived on a farm with a dog, a pig, and a cow. The little red hen worked hard every day to grow plants in her garden. The dog, the pig, the cow did everything uh, did nothing, but they slept all day in the warm sun, and they watched the little red hen work in her garden. One day, little red hen found a grain of wheat, and she asked, who will help me plant this wheat so that we can eat fresh bread? Not I, said the dog, not I, said the pig, not I, said the cow. I'll plant it myself then, said the little red hen, and she planted the grain of wheat. Little red hen took good care of her wheat, and the dog, the pig, and the cow said they were too tired to help. By the end of the summer, the wheat grew tall, and it was time to cut the wheat and take it to the mill. Who will help me cut the wheat and take it to the mill so that we can have fresh bread? Not I, said the dog, not I, said the pig, not I, said the cow. Well, then I'll take it to the mill myself, said little red hen, and she cut the wheat and set off for the mill. After the miller made wheat into soft flour, she came back to the farm and asked, who will help me bake the bread? Not I, said the dog, not I, said the pig, not I, said the cow. Well, then I'll bake the bread myself, and she did just that. She mixed the flour and salt and yeast to make the dough. You've heard this, right? You know it's coming. After the dough rose, she put it in the oven to bake. When the bread was done, she asked, who'll help me eat the bread? I will, said the dog. I will, said the pig. I will, said the cow. No, you will not, said the little red hen. You didn't help me plant the grain. You didn't help me care for it. You didn't help me cut it and take it to the mill. You didn't even help me bake the bread. I will eat it myself. And she did. The church is not a cruise ship. So what is a picture of, we're talking about boats this morning. Well, we're talking about the church this morning. But if the church is not a cruise ship, what is it? 
Let me give you another, another word picture. I think a better word picture for the church, not a cruise ship, it's a rescue boat. It's a rescue ship. Big difference. You see, you don't get on a rescue ship and expect to be served. You board a rescue ship and expect to serve others, to rescue others. You have a mission. Save all of the souls that you can. You don't expect fancy chairs and all the conveniences. You expect quality tools that work and that will meet the needs of others. A better picture for the church is not a a cruise ship, it's a rescue ship. Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, Paul, I mean, think about this for a moment. Paul was born Saul. As a young man was taken to the school of the prophets, he studied under Gamaliel, one of the best-known, best teachers, had a special name as a rabbi, and he studied under Gamaliel. He, he learned to defend the truth of the, the Jewish laws, and he was a zealot. In fact, he so, um, <clears throat> was, was so tied up in, in Judaism that he persecuted Christians for their faith. And one day, special permission on the road to Damascus is uh, with letters to pursue and persecute those who belong to the, the people of the way, the Christians. And the Lord blinded him so that he could see. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his name was changed, and his life was changed. And he became a, a tool um, in God's uh, arsenal of spreading the gospel. He was a missionary who, who launched into journeys and established churches. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he's talking about the unity and the maturity of the body of Christ, the church. He's describing the church. And watch this, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Here's what he says. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the pastors or uh, some versions say shepherds and teachers. By the way, how I remember that is with an acrostic. Um, an acrostic that is uh, apest. Uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, a pest. <clears throat> Thank you, ma'am. That's my wife. In <laughs> whom I am well pleased. <clears throat> I have loved her for more than 36 years. We have three children, our family has expanded. She works hard. She loves me. Um, and she's beautiful. And helpful. <clears throat> A pest. <laughs> Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. How do I remember that? Sometimes those people can be a pest <laughs> to me. 
They remind me of things I don't always want to know. Um, Paul is helping the Ephesian church understand what the church is all about. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We're talking about this morning about about the church. We're talking about service. And sometimes we keep score of service, and we say, here's the things that I think the church owes me. Well, we think the church owes us. In fact, Paul is talking about some things that we owe the church. So as I've studied this out, and I've <clears throat> read commentators on this, um, on this passage, and um, listened to messages, and, and referenced them for this message, Here's just some perspective that has helped me. I hope it helps you. Chapter 1, Paul writes about redemption. It's the, it's the purchase of the church. In chapter 2, he writes about reconciliation. That's the unity in the church. He's, he's addressing the Ephesian church. Chapter 3, he writes about revelation, the mystery of the church. In chapter 4, Paul writes about regeneration. It's the ministry of the church. That's what we're, we're dealing with, the ministry, the service of the church. It's in this section in chapter 4, the ministry of the church. How is that accomplished? And, and so we're, we're understanding what does it mean to serve. At the turn of the 19th century, into the 20th century, William Booth. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. He said this when he was asked about what concerned him about the church in terms of the century that lay before them. They were making the switch from the 19th to the 20th century. What, as you look forward to this next 100 years, what concerns you about the church in terms of, the, of, of, of what they will face? And the, what are the chief dangers? Here's what he said. Of the chief dangers that will confront the church in the coming century, he goes, I see it, it, it will probably be a religion without the Holy Spirit. It will be Christianity without Christ. It will be forgiveness without true repentance. It will be salvation without regeneration. By the way, if you've been saved and nothing has happened, you need to be saved. Because you go from death to life. If something hasn't happened in salvation, if something hasn't happened and you haven't been regenerated, you've not been alive in Christ, you need to be saved. He talked about politics without God, heaven without hell. We're now, we, we completed the 20th century. We were well into the 21st century and it appears that William Booth was correct. We live in a culture that has adopted religion without the Holy Spirit. We have Christianity without holding to the word of God that throws out whatever seems uncomfortable to our way the, way, the way we like to live. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture, he talks about <clears throat> being built up in the knowledge, in the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature 
so that we're no longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. And what has happened in today, today's world, and it's happened in creeping into the church, is that people are preaching a different gospel. They are preaching to itching ears, which Scripture also warned us about. It's, it's this idea that somehow I, I, people, even in the church, want the church to become palatable to the world. Say, so listen, we're just like you. We're, we, we, we're, we're just like you. And, and, and there are people that in today's, even in the church, are trying to determine which books of the Bible are divinely inspired and which aren't because they can't possibly be... be um, um, you know, it, does, it doesn't fit with, with how, how I want to live my life, and so it can't possibly be true. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church, an important church in Ephesus. He's talking to us today. It's a timeless word. Paul warns that there'll be opposition from within and without in the church, and the thing that will keep you settled will be what Paul worked tirelessly to help them to do was to be able to stand firm in the faith. So watch this. He says, Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The word needs to be taught. It's the basis of the teaching that would be the foundation of the church. The word. (laughs) Martin Luther said that God lives in the preacher's mouth. It is amazing to me through the foolishness of preaching that some are saved. I've often talked to God about this. I say, listen, are you sure there's not a better way than trying to have people hear the voice of God through the voice of a human preacher? It is an astounding thing. And God chooses to hide himself in the very human words so that we may listen to him and learn. Luther and Calvin both affirmed that teaching and preaching is crucial to the success of the church. The word of God reveals the voice of God. Paul affirms the confidence of the word in the pulpit. He said, and when there's confidence in the word from the pulpit, then there's confidence in the word in the pews. Paul knew that saying the hard things of the word was crucial to the success of the church. Today's, today's world, there are many people who are, who are sidestepping the truth. They're compromising the truth of God's word, trying to make it palatable to a world that stands in opposition to God's word. When we forsake the teaching and preaching of the word, it comes as a peril to the church. And I think that's what verse 11 is talking about. Proclaiming the word is crucial, and the church is transformed, confirms conforms to the word of God, or it just becomes like every other organization in life. The, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a rescue ship. There's an intention, there's a purpose, there's a, there's a, a, a reason that we're after. We're part of the kingdom strategy of, of, of leading people to follow Christ. We're not, a, we're not a social group. We are not a civic club. If we lose our distinctives, the, the community doesn't need another civic club. They don't need another a place for social engagement, per se. They need churches who will preach the word of God, who will be the catalyst of, of life and hope in a community so that people who are lost can see the light of Christ and they can find their way to a savior and to an eternal home. 
The dialogue of preaching, by the way, people say, well, it's, it's, it's not a monologue. Here's, here is why I stand, I, I get up from, from, from one Sunday and, and, and prepare for another Sunday and come back again is because I understand this isn't just a monologue, and it's not something that is based on my ability to, to communicate in myself, but somehow in the words of, of, of Scripture, in, in God's truth to us being proclaimed, the Spirit of God speaking through my mouth to your heart connects you to Him. That's how that works. And so the Word is so important Preaching is not just a talk. It's a direct encounter of God through the scripture proclaimed by a human voice. But I want you now to watch, with that established as a base, watch the effect that it has on us and ultimately our service in the kingdom. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 12, to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So service in the church, three things, simple. Don't be like children, it's in verse 4, 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. No longer like children. You know, the thing about children is they act like children. It is amazing how children act like children. They, from birth, they are helpless and selfish. You do not have to teach a child to be selfish. They are, they are that right out of the get-go. They're selfish. They're consumers. They're drawn to what appeals to them. They're not, infants, they're not drawn to service. We say, listen, I hold this child and it means so much to me. She, get, you know, he, she gives me so much back. You know, I look in her eyes, the coo and all that. That's great. Put them down for a minute. Don't tend to them. They cannot tend to themselves. They will surely perish unless someone serves them. They are susceptible to what is available to them. Greedy for whatever is the most recent whim. You know what Paul says to the church? When it comes to service in the church, don't be like children. Grow up. Be built up. Equipped for acts of service so that others around you can be built up. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Am I supposed to judge the people outside the church? No. God is the judge. But should there be someone that looks at our lives, has relationship with us, that says, how can I help you along in your faith? How can I help build you up? How can I encourage you? Grow up, be built up, equipped for acts of service, help others around you. You know that your spiritual journey, your maturity is not just about you. Coming to church so that you can grow is not all that Christ intended, but you have an investment in others. By the way, that's why the church will never, look, we're online, 
We're going to continue to be online because we reach people that can't be in church on a Sunday morning because they're serving in our communities and, and they're not able to be here when we're here. There's other people who are sick or there's people who are um, housebound. We're going to continue to be online. You cannot, if th this whole idea of, of being just online, you cannot build the church as Christ intended online. You and I rub up against each other. We, we minister to one another. When you come to church on Sunday morning, don't just come with a cup that says, listen, feed me. Feed me, preacher. You know, I think there are some people that would prefer me to set them in a corner and, and feed them with a slingshot. <laughs> Good, I got my dose for the week. First of all, if this is the only spiritual food you're getting, you're going to die. You'll starve to death. You need to learn to feed yourself. But in addition to that, we nurture one another along the way. And, and you, you serve one another. And, and <clears throat> I, I think a crucial understanding of, of being able to help others means that you need a solid understanding of God's word. It's crucial to the kind of maturity we're talking about. So you, you, need, to, you need to be taught in, in the, in, to understand the doctrines of Scripture, the doctrine of God. You understand the, the, the doctrine of humanity. And you say, okay, listen, there's a holy God that who, who, who loves us and wants to have a relationship with us and, and in the garden had a relationship where there was intimacy with, with human beings and, and there was no separation, but because of sin, we're talking about now the, the, the doctrine of salvation and, and the humanity of a, of a person that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and there's none that are righteous and, and, and the, the wages of sin is death and, and then the doctrine of salvation that says, but there's, there's an answer that, that we can have fellowship with God because of Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Even while we were sinners, he died for us. We're saved by grace through faith. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And, and so we need to understand those things. If you don't understand those things, if you can't articulate those things, how can you witness to people who need Jesus? And, and, the, and the, the whole idea here is that there are, <clears throat> there are, he says, grow up. Don't be like children. There, there's, a, there's a mission that you have been called to. It's a part of being a follower of Jesus Christ, leading others to follow Christ. So listen, I made it, us four and no more. You know, my wife, my couple of kids, us four and no more. That is not a Christian worldview. If you have the cure to cancer and you don't share it, that's not nice. And you and I have the answer to renewed relationship with God. We can have a personal relationship with Creator God, Yahweh God. We can have we can have peace on this earth, his presence through the power of his Holy Spirit. We have his word that guides us, a light and a lamp to our feet and our path. And we have the hope, the, the security of an eternity with him as we walk in faith with Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith in him. And we have the best message of all the world, and we, we need to understand. He said, don't be like children. Be grounded in scripture. Do what needs to be done, not based on feelings, but rather on maturity. Paul's concerned about thinking right, not being distracted. 
Not by being deceived into thinking that, you know, what's true or what's, you know, somehow um, we misinterpret Scripture. People are, are, are ultimately deceived. Scripture says that in these last days, people will come and they'll, they'll be like wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to come in to, to deceive and even people in the church if that's possible. So that kind of stinking thinking leads to poor practice. You see, God's Word is taught, rightly understood, applied, believed. It saves it saves us from immaturity and inactivity. Settle your convictions. Live by them. Don't be like children. Here's the second thing. That's in verse 14. Here's in verse 15. Not only he says, don't be like children, he says, become like Christ. Become like Christ. To become like Christ is to grow up, to be marked with a heart, to serve others. You speak the truth in love. Do the will of God in service. Use the gifts of, of God with the grace that he gives you. Become like Christ. Become like Christ. Be a, a person, an, a, a mature in the faith who can help lead others to follow Jesus. And one of the things, we, you know, we talked here about speaking the truth. In verse 15, speak the truth in love. There's people who say, well, listen, I'm a truth speaker. You know what that's cover for a lot of times? It, 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 it's cover for, um, I don't really care about people all that much. I'm just a truth speaker. I don't really care what you think or anybody else thinks, and I, I get it, I understand it, that's good. But it can also not be good. Oftentimes, a strength taken too far is a weakness. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Well, Paul didn't say, just speak the truth. He said, speak the truth in love. You know, there's people that just want to speak in love. I think we can mistakenly love people straight to the gates of hell. If you don't love them enough to tell them the truth, you haven't served them well. The balance is crucial. You were not created to be so truthful that you're critical. You were not created to be so loving that you are unbiblical. Truth is strengthened by love. Love is strengthened by truth. Serve others, he says, with truth and love. So you become like Christ. So this whole idea of serving in the church, it's, it's I have this responsibility. I, I understand the, the need around me. I'm going to serve others. I'm, I'm not going to be like children. I'm going to become like Christ. I'm, I'm going to speak the truth in love. Growing to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I find something else in verse 16. Do your part. Here's what he says. From him... The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Do your part. Use your unique gift to serve Christ in his church. Each part in its own God-ordained way exists to help the other parts. Without a head, nothing, nothing works. And so he is the head. Christ is the head. The, the harmony is under the headship of Christ. It works and functions and matures 
It does its work. All the parts need to be under the control of the gospel unity. We, people need Jesus. People need the church to function in society. And, and by, you know, so, so there's a world that is lost. That people are, are, are dying today and will face a Christless eternity. People are lost. People need the Lord. Who do you expect to do that work of leading them to follow Christ? Who do you expect to do that work? So, well, elders. The elders should. Hit up all your elders. <laughs> the elders should be doing that. Oh, the pastors. Hit up all your pastors. Are you doing that? You should be hit up all your pastors. See if, if they're doing that. Is that it? If it's the job of the elders and the pastors, we will fail. It's your job. It's my job. Do your part. Say, so listen, I'm leading people to follow Christ. Someone else, no. It's you. Use the gift of God with grace that he has given to you. Do you really expect the church to lead people to follow Christ? We need everybody. Look, we're doing our best, but we need everyone involved in the gospel ministry. It's the pastors, you know, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, preachers. Um, uh, they're the ones who have the responsibility to teach the church to equip them for acts of service. We need everyone involved in the gospel ministry. The church isn't a cruise ship. It's a rescue ship. There's an old song we used to sing, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. There's another ship kind of song that talks about um, let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the way. Some source poor struggling um, seamen, you may you rescue, you may save. You and I, our job is to be the church in the world. We go out and become the church in the world. Do your part. Do your part. Here's another way of <clears throat> well, a pastor in, in a sermon on this text gave four points to this text. I thought it was helpful. He said, well, why don't you just tell us this at the beginning and then be done? But, well, here it is. This may make sense to you. First of all, he says, eat up. Get a good diet of spiritual food. Um, by the way, Sunday, Sunday mornings are an important part of your spiritual, your, your spiritual development. Um, if Sundays are the only time you're taking spiritual food, you're going to starve to death. You need, you need more. You need to learn to feed yourself. But you have other opportunities. There's a group that meets at 6 o'clock, men that meet at 6 o'clock. You know what? They all come in their work clothes. Some of them have suits and ties. Some of them have you know, doctor's jackets. Others, you know, um, Carhartts and steel-toed shoes. But from 6 to 7, they study God's Word together. By the way, what an equalizer the truth of God's word is. Everyone's the same. It doesn't matter what you make or what car you drive or, you know, Ford, Chevy, what's the other one? Dodge. <laughs> Throw in a Toyota. It doesn't matter. They don't care. 
We're here to study the Word. And then they take off and they go to work. Women's studies. So listen, how, how are you going to do that? You have to put yourself in a place where you can learn and grow. So first of all, eat up. Get a good diet of spiritual food. Learn how to read God's Word. I love Keith, uh, not Keith, um, Kent Eby, Dr. Kent Eby's teaching world religions. He's talking about uh, the first week we talked about Islam. How do you minister to a Muslim? And, and last week we talked about um, Judaism and, and, and what do the Jews believe in? And, and, you know, talking about this whole idea of there are some that are in, um, you know, Jews. They're, they're liberal Jews. They're, they're Jews in name only. They're not, it's not how they live. It's not how they practice. They've, they, they, they are... Um, they're liberal in their views. Again, they're trying to be like the world. And, and, and he, he talked about, he was talking world religions and um, asked him a question, and he got sidetracked. He went on for quite a bit of time talking about the, the love of God. There's people, that even though the Jews would have um, portions of Scripture, um, you know, the Old Testament like, like we have, but they read it, but it doesn't affect their lives. So we have to be not just hearers, but doers of the word. And he began to talk about the importance of God's word and how he, he lives for that. He, he, it, is, it, is, it is life, it is hope, it is truth, it is strength to, to be in God's word. <clears throat> so eat up a good diet of spiritual food. Grow up in Christ. Mature in your faith. M m spiritual maturity is not necessarily connected to number of years biological age or number of years as a Christian. There are some very immature Christians who have been Christians for a long time, but they're immature spiritually. He said, grow up. Eat up, grow up, show up. <laughs> this is part of that show up piece, um, uh, being a part of church. And, uh, and t the, you know, the average, the national average these days, people's uh, attendance. I understand you're here. I'm preaching to the choir. Um, is like 1.5 times a month coming to church. The number of people that, are, are, that would claim some at church is their church. Um, if, if everyone showed up on, on Sunday, they finally said, listen, here's a Sunday, everyone's going to show up, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have room here. But people's attendance of, of 1.5, national average, we're a little better than that, national, uh, than that national average here. Um, it's idea of show up. It has to do with show up when it comes time to serve in your church. And then, literally, it's step up. So, Eat up, grow up, show up for teaching and training and, and responsibility, and then step up, take your place, equipped and enabled to do your job. And this requires being engaged with people, being involved, serving, being responsible, caring for people. You see, the Christian faith is personal, but it's not private. It's not private. That kind of selfishness is unbiblical. Even if we're content to mature on our own, that is selfish. If we embrace that philosophy, we're headed for death. Whatever you call it, it's not the kind of church Jesus intended and died for. If we're only thinking about ourselves, service. You see, we're, we're in this, this, this whole idea of counting, you know, and keeping scores. What does the church owe me? I'm part of this church. Here's what they owe me, this and that and this and that. No, when you're going to keep scores, say, what do I owe the church? the body of Christ? What do I owe the community that I serve in? What are you going to do? We think our church owes us, but what actually we owe the church and the people of God and those who have yet to become the people of God, what do we owe them? 
I'm going to ask the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. It's so great to be a guest speaker here. I go back to my home church. I won't, I won't have to deal with all that. I just... This is a prayer that I read at the end of a, a message that helps me to understand some of what I'm talking about. I just want to read it for you. As I read this prayer, I wonder what in God's what is God's intention to how will he speak to you when it comes to service? The thought that somehow I, I thought this was a cruise ship that I was boarding for my own well-being and it's a rescue ship and and what am I going to have to do? I want you to listen to this prayer and see what God says to you. But here's a prayer that, that I would pray, that I need to pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, by your grace in Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit, Please help me to be prayerfully holy, joyfully obedient to your word. So, as a member of my church in submission to its leadership, I believe and proclaim the gospel that Christ is my loving Savior and living Lord. I regularly attend our Sunday service and small group. Contribute my prayer, my time, and talents to our church's life and outreach and to give sacrificially for the gospel ministry of our church and our mission partners. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Does that ring true to your life? Would you, could you pray that prayer? Would you say, God, in my life, I want to take it. I consecrate my life to you. I, I give myself to you. Forgive me for the times when I just came and tagged along. But thank you for that gift. And for the opportunity to use it. God, open up an opportunity. Help me to look. Help me to seek. Help me to be diligent of that. And I'll do whatever you say by your grace. This morning, if you're serving, um, thank you. We may see it. We may not, because you might be serving behind the scenes. Thank you. If, if you're not serving, say, listen, I have a gift. I, have to, I need to discover what it is. Let us help you with that. If you have, say, listen, I just haven't had an opportunity. Please come talk to us. Um, so, well, listen, I, I used it before, and I got myself in trouble. <laughs> oh, 
truth in advertising. Uh, the church is not a cruise ship, and if you use your gift long enough, you're going to run into a problem. Somebody might not like what you do. That's okay. You endure, endure through that and persist, and you'll grow and you'll mature. And I wonder, this morning you say, well, listen, it, this is not guilt. One of the things I love about my job is I'm not the purveyor of guilt. I'm the one who gets to talk to people about grace. The Holy Spirit does convict, but you know what? You can, you can deal with, if, if it's guilt from Satan, tell him to get lost. If, if it's conviction from the Holy Spirit, you can solve that with grace, with God's grace. So I get to tell you about God's grace. And so this morning, what is it that God is saying to you? What would it look like your life consecrated to Him? How will you serve? How are you serving? Rejoice in that or let Him take, lead you and take a step of moving forward. Lord, help us today, I pray. By your grace, help me be involved in the gospel ministry of our church. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.